Hello and welcome to episode one of To The Studio. My name's David Alban, your host, and thanks so much for dropping by. Before we get started, I'd just like to explain a little bit about To The Studio. This is a podcast that's nearly a year in the making, starting when I left my master's in painting back in July 2018. It was created essentially out of a deep love of art, making it, talking about it, and everything that surrounds it. Or really more specifically in my case, not talking about it enough or even talking to people in general. But also in recognising the necessity and importance of talking and discussing, not only in the arts but in every walk and part of life. To the studio then hopes in some way, through having these conversations and sharing them with you, it may help to remove those imaginary walls that can seem to build up around one, especially as a creative. And in doing so, continuing that journey of discovery and growth. So with that said, to the studio will bring you conversations with an array of people working in the arts, including artists, writers, musicians, curators, chatting through their work, research, current exhibitions, previous exhibitions, ideas and their experiences, ultimately getting an insight into their story, what they do, why they do it, and how they manage to maintain their practice, and all of the good stuff in between. So all these podcasts are recorded in the working studios of each guest we speak to, and we are aim to put them out weekly. I'd like to ask that if you've enjoyed the podcast, please give us a subscribe. And also, we'd love to hear your thoughts, suggestions and opinions about anything to do with the podcast at all. You can find all the details about how to do that in the notes section for each podcast. And we're on mostly every social media platform as well. We're super excited about all of our guests and really eager to share them with you. So here we go. I hope you enjoy listening. So welcome to the very first episode of To The Studio. I'm very excited to announce that our first guest is Victor Seward. Seward's work juxtaposes raw functional materials such as concrete with high-tech industrial materials and apparatuses to expose how social and cultural groups are able to enduringly place meaningful stock through the addition of pattern, objects and symbols in otherwise mundane ephemera. Recent exhibitions for Seaward include Vanitas, which is part of Seesaw at Rectory Projects in London, Contemporary Sculpture 2019, curated by William Bennington Gallery in Buckinghamshire, Isabeline and Other Colours at Lillybrook Gallery in London, Same Tendency at Summer Hall Gallery in Edinburgh, and Absinthe, curated by James Kappa, Charlie Mills and Billy Fraser, at Spit and Sawdust, also in London. I visited Victor in his studio on a sunny evening in late August in south-east London. We talked through what it's like working for Steve Claydon, dip into the workings of the hippocampus and the human brain, all the way to the art scene in Birmingham. So thank you again for listening. Let's get into our chat. Cool. Victor, hello. Hello. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure, absolute pleasure. Welcome to your studio, <laughs> I guess. Thanks so much. Honoured to be here. Dave. Good. <laughs> um, so how was your day? How have you, how have you been? What have you been up to today? I've been um, quite, quite a hardcore day. Um, been at work all day, work for an artist. Um, can we disclose the artist's name? We can, he's called Stephen Claydon. 
Uh, he was my tutor at RCA. He's got a show coming up in Berlin. So just prepping for that. So it was quite an intense day, matching bolts, that kind of thing, quite gnarly drilling, <laughs> um, etc. And then, yeah, straight down in the train here. How's, how's, it, how's it been working for an artist outside of, like, outside of, like, an educational context, I guess? How is it being like in the real world working for it? Yeah, it's 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 a tricky one because I think when you're working on your own practice, you can make any decision that you want to in terms of finish or quality. Yeah. When you're working for someone else, it's very difficult to know when they would stop. It, and so it, let's say in, in terms of, of finish, I never know how precise to go. He might go, that looks fine, mate. But then in my head, he's going to say that looks awful. So <laughs> I, I always find that I end up working much harder for an artist because you yeah. can never second guess. But that being said, I've really enjoyed it. I mean, frankly, it's, it's kind of the dream to get paid to make art. Mm. So um, working for him has been awesome. And, you know, I get like sort of ad hoc mini tutorials from him too mm-hmm. and we'll chat about things during the day listening to radio for whatever so it's always engendering conversation and we're um quite along the sort of same lines in terms of work and aesthetics yeah. so yeah. we do like get quite nerdy about neolithic korean art or whatever yeah. um, so it's quite <laughs> enjoyable i'm enjoying it but it's also quite stressy i think anybody that's made work for another artist will agree that it's it's not a barrel of laughs it is quite serious and ultimately you've got to uphold their standards. Um, so it can be quite stressy at times. Is it just you? Is it just you then? Is it just you? Does, how many assistants does he have? It's just me. Um, Steve um, is primarily based in Cornwall now. So um, he spends a few days up in London now and again, and I will help him on a sort of ad hoc basis. So it's okay. basically just me and him at the moment. Um and, you know, for all of the cool making of artwork, there's also quite, like, sort of gnarly taking deliveries of work, shipping stuff yeah. out, creating, condition reporting, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's quite varied role, but um, enjoyable. Did yeah. you have, did you find, or did you have any experience of that before working for him? Or was it quite a surprise to you that all that stuff that goes on behind the scenes of an artist and all the work that it takes to get it to such a polished professional level yeah had you ever experienced that before or was it no I mean working for Steve that's the first time I worked for an artist and um yeah you get an inkling of what what it takes when you're making your own work but I remember when he'd given me my first sort of like assignment and he was like you've got to do this patination thing yeah and um he was down in Cornwall, so I was just nipping into his studio now and again to work on it. And it was, I was like, oh my God, this is, you know, like, this is quite intense. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's no room for error here. Yeah. If you cock up one of your own things, it's, it, you know, you can never beat yourself up that much. But if mm. it's somebody else, and also, thing is, the materials that Steve uses, it's quite, um, sometimes there's, there's, there's no second chances. So I had to cast an antique tea brick that he'd had, which he'd, <laughs> spent years trying to find one and casting that in silicon I was like oh my god like you know if I mess this up that's game over he's gonna have to buy another one and um so it can be quite gnarly but um yeah that was the first time I'd ever sort of experienced that but then also I worked for another artist Angela de la Cruz um and her practice is very different but just as equally challenging I suppose it's technically 
more simple, but in the simplicity comes the difficulty because yeah. it's got to look like a bang on. It's got to be bang on every time. Yeah, I, and I guess with with work that's seemingly so so minimal, attention will then be drawn to the well to, to specifics of the artwork that you're looking at. Absolutely. And if there are kind of slight variations in, you know, in surface, for instance, yeah, that is highlighted tenfold rather than something that could be. You know, say like a, a Felida Barlow sculpture, you aren't gonna you aren't gonna realise if if you know if if some polystyrene's a bit off. But. Exactly, and I think it's a very good point because Angela's work is quite minimal yeah. in terms of um, surface, for example. In in that, then any kind of defect is 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 glaring. Whereas if you've got a more organic kind of surface or attention to materiality, let's say like Felida Barlow. Yeah. There's not necessarily more places to hide, but um, it can sort of feed into the materiality of the work. Whereas if it's something quite minimal, you know, there's nowhere to hide. It's all on show. Yeah, you could be yeah. very careful with them. But I, I, I quite enjoy that. You know, I quite, um, I think it's quite a, a, an interesting concept to be able to give an assistant a set of instructions and for them to be able to execute the work. And I often think about, I mean, like I'm a million miles away from having an assistant, but mm. um, I often think, like, you know, how would that translate into giving it over to somebody else? Um, and I think about that quite a lot, the work. Um, yeah, because, well, this is a nice segue in, into you. Um, yeah. So I, let's, just, let's start from the top. I don't want to mm. go straight into the work. So sure. Your journey into art, where did it, where are you, where did you begin? Where did you grow up? Was it, was that, you know, how did it all, how did your interest start, start to, yeah, start to gain some traction within, within the arts and how did you find your way into it? Yeah, so I, uh, I was born in Kuala Lumpur, moved to the mean streets of West Dulwich when I was about five or six, <laughs> I think, um, and then I'd always been interested in, in, in art. I think most artists always kind of showed some kind of aptitude or uh, enthusiasm for art when they're kids, you yeah. know, and um, used to make a lot of art when I was a kid. Um, and then... Well, was that from your own free will? Were you just like drawing at home? Was it drawing or painting or whatever? Yeah, I think so. It was always kind of drawing, painting, that kind of thing. And then at school, deeply interested in art. And um, I got an art scholarship to uh, my secondary school. Um, what did that... Was, what did, what did, as in, how does that... Yeah, how did that work? So it was... Um, yeah, I went to a boarding school in Berkshire and um, they sort of invited... Um, applications for an art scholarship oh, um, and I got it and I remember that was quite like a big moment for me because um, you know that was the first time I'd ever sort of like um, really achieved something in, in in art and it was yeah it was a big moment for me and mm. um, yeah and then from from then on like uh, you know I did art for GCSE ASA2 went on to do an art foundation at Chelsea um, and then at the time, I kind of really wanted to... The, the more theoretical, art historical side of things was the, was the thing that was motivating me the most at the time. Yeah. I don't know what that was. I think maybe it's because I was making absolutely... The work I was making in Foundation <laughs> is just dog shit. It's <laughs> awful. But I think that's what Foundation's all about. Yeah, I, I think... 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure everyone that's done foundation is kind of the same. I, I think for me, it was, it was a moment where I was with other people who thought the same. I could make art every day, which yeah. was, um, which, which was a novelty in itself. Yeah, totally. And, and yeah, you're kind of let. You've got free reign with all these materials, and yeah. for the first time, I don't know about yours, but my A level education was quite, um, it's quite restricted. Totally, it's a very kind of linear way of doing things. Yeah, you do your research, you pick an artist, you make work, and in, you you in. put that all in a sketchbook, which is easily digestible. Right. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. something that I've actually really loved is breaking those shackles and not necessarily having to keep a sketchbook which is so yeah as you said linear yeah you know yeah um so yeah I, I it was it was a chance to experiment and I I failed quite a lot um in terms of producing sort of like I mean it's difficult to say what is good art what isn't but I can categorically say it was not good <laughs> art but um it was um it was it was a really fun time I really enjoyed it but then I I went on to do just straight art history at Leeds for three years um, straight after my foundation at, at Chelsea and the course there was like really incredible it was um, it's quite like theory based there's compulsory element in in aesthetics and I'm really glad that I went through that I mean you're never going to pick up Kant's critique of judgment for a little <laughs> browse through you know what I mean you have yeah. to be told to struggle with that yeah. and Baudrillard and all the rest absolutely. of it it's all absolutely. gnarly stuff yeah. um it's heavy yeah it's, it's heavy. super heavy and I'm I'm for me that was like a really good moment just to like really knuckle down with the art historical aspect of things but then kind of interestingly it really made me want to make work the whole time I mm. and I, I was making even though it was straight art history I was just making work in my student house and um I just remember thinking that was the first time I was making quite interesting stuff. Like, I mean, again, I'd look back on it and it would mm. seem quite naive, but um, yeah, I really enjoyed making the work um, just in my flat for myself, not for any kind of assessment or anything else other than having this kind of weird urge to make practical stuff, even though I was doing a fully theoretical BA. Um, and then after that was a, a weird moment where I spent ended up spending five six years in the art market so I got an internship at House and Worth like pretty much two months after I graduated from Leeds and did House and Worth and then I worked at Herald Street for a little bit and then um, ended up at Bonham's Auctioneers uh, in the post-war contemporary art department where I was um, yeah started off in post-war contemporary art and then stayed there and towards the end ran my own weird sale called <laughs> Founders 1793 which was like multidisciplinary uh, modern design a little bit of urban etc uh, contemporary art um, but then again weirdly ended up making work uh, artwork at the same time and uh, I was making these really weird organic looking concrete casts um on my balcony in, in, in Dalston and like <laughs> submerging things in water baths and getting algae to grow in them. And again, it was just kind of uh, f just something for, for me. And um, yeah, I, I got a bit disenchanted with the art market. Um, you know, it just wasn't, it wasn't for me 
really. And, and there are lots of people that love it and mm. good for them. And, you know, it, it does perform a function, but I got a little bit disenchanted by it. It's, it's quite a weird world to be in. Um, and especially seeing like art as pure commodity, which it is yeah. in an auction house, is quite um, quite a strange thing to to, yeah. to witness. And, yeah, um, I, I bet when you've got a, a, a foot in making as, a, as as well, it's yeah, it must be it must be quite um, must be quite sad, really. Yeah, um, it's kind of bizarre, and it, you know, also the market favors us, especially at auction. Right, we're not yeah. talking sort of primary market at auction. <laughs> the market favours certain artists who, you know, in my opinion, weren't that mind-blowing yeah. or, or, or brilliant. Um, but, you know, the market would, would love that stuff and they were selling for 20, 30, 40k upwards. And it was, um, yeah, I found that side of things a bit disenchanting. And, yeah, as I said, I was making this weird, really weird concrete stuff on my balcony. And I just thought... Um, you know, my way out, I really want to get back into making it in a proper way. Yeah. You know, like I'd love to go and do an MA. Um, and so just very quietly, I applied to uh, a bunch of schools mm -hmm. for an MA, not really expecting to get in anywhere. And then, um, yeah, I ended up getting into RCA. And it was just like, um, yeah, I remember the moment. It was just, it was absolutely wild. I like just couldn't believe it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I even remember when I got my interview there. It was like, oh my god. Yeah, I'm very, I'm very much the same. I'm very much the same. Yeah, and this is it's a, it a big, it's a big deal when you get that, when you get that email. Um, yeah. To interview. Yeah, I, I was exactly the same. I was, at, I was at the same with my interview, I, and I remember it. Well, I, I don't remember the interview because I was just so nervous. But I, I don't either. I don't remember it either. No. But I remember, I remember getting the email saying you got the interview. I was like, oh my god! Yeah. And I remember getting the email saying that I got in. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I'm so used to getting rejection <laughs> oh, yeah. emails for <laughs> everything. Yeah. Like competition this year was really fierce. Yeah. Like you've done really well to get to this point. I was like fully mentally prepared for that. And yeah. I just remember it, they said like you got in, and I was um, yeah, I was at work at Bonham's. And I hadn't told anyone that I was applying. And mm. I was just like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to have a moment. So, yeah, jacked it all in. And then um, went, yeah, went to RCA to study painting. And then we were put next to each we other were. in our first year yeah, in Kensington. We, yeah, we were. The rest we were. is history. Which is when I saw my first Victor Seward. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that, that you, you talked about your, your concrete work. And that's something that's kind of been in the background of what you've been doing mm. since since then really and it's yeah. been kind of the spine well not I wouldn't say the spine but it's definitely been a material that is kind of a constant really mm. whether it's happening um, within an installation or whether it's a work on its own there's always an element of of that um, so yeah I, I, I guess I don't really want to ask particularly about concrete per se but um, your, your, your well your work alone has such an expanse of materials now yeah um, and maybe a, a nice way to talk about that is just be just maybe you could chat a little, little bit about the last couple of shows you've been in possibly the one yeah. you won in Birmingham for a mm. start which is your first am I right in saying it's your first your first solo second second solo, solo. Second. apologies apologies <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I, I was at the first what, what I, think? I was at the first you were at Lily's I yeah. was I was I was but yeah maybe we could talk about the one at Lily's which was in that my was mind the first. An, ins an insanely intricate 
weaving of narratives and objects and materials. Um, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe we could start. Yeah, maybe that's a nice in- intro. Yeah, into, into and just stuff. very quickly going back to concrete being the spine. Maybe it is the spine. You know, it's it's kind of been there from the start, and it's involved in yeah. its own way, and it's kind of maybe taken a step back and then taken two, two steps forward but it's kind of been like an omnipresent material in in, in the work but um yeah um the first solo show was uh, at Lilybrook gallery in Camberwell which is a 10 minute walk from where we are now in our studios mm-hmm. at tannery arts in Camberwell yeah. so it was quite nice to show somewhere locally not least for transport was a delight <laughs> You know, and like if I was missing stuff, I could just quickly nip yeah. back to the studio and get a <laughs> yeah. spanner or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, that was that was the my first solo show, and I I don't know. It's when you were doing group shows, I don't think I could have ever predicted like what I would have ended up doing for like my my first solo. Like I it, I just think that the moment you're doing it is a solo proposition. Mm you know sky's the limit and you can just go in a weird tangent that you would have never expected and that's kind of what happened it was um we'd had like a few ideas but then we eventually settled on kind of like a chromatic thing like I I was doing we, we were talking about maybe all the objects being one color and I was doing quite a lot of research into into colors and this pale yellow kept on popping up which like I now know is a color called isabelline uh, which is what the show is named after. But um, I found it popping up everywhere, like Reeboks, pharmaceutical industry, in nature, um, post-it notes, all this kind of stuff. And I just thought there's something kind of in that. Um, so it became this kind of bizarre research-based thing looking for this kind of pale yellow. Uh, and I found it in so many different aspects of... Um, life really and um then set myself the task of kind of hyperlinking everything i don't know where that came from it's just the 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 sort of like the the central piece to it was a piece called hippocampus which was a um a yellow seahorse called hippocampus cuda which is native to the southeast asian oceans and that's a pale yellow and then also weirdly xanax um, some forms of Xanax pills are a pale yellow. Um, and there was this weird poetic link how Xanax uh, inhibits the hippocampus in the brain to... Re- uh, that's how it works. But then also um, the part of your brain is called a hippocampus because it resembles a seahorse. And then there was this pale yellow seahorse yeah. called hippocampus cuda. And then, uh, yeah, uh, you were sort of like living that with me. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, like, I found <laughs> yeah. this weird link. Yeah. Yeah. And then it just felt like natural. The rest of the show, everything should be kind of hyperlinked in that way. Everything led to what, another thing. And like the hippocampus work was the most natural one. Mm-hmm. Like towards the end, I did find it like a complete nightmare having to somehow link Reeboks with like um, <laughs> Gerrit Rietveld zigzag <laughs> chairs and then go on to post-it notes and sulfur and all this mm. kind of stuff. But it was a big challenge and um, I enjoyed it. It was just like, you know how it is, it's, it's, it's difficult to fit all of that in on top of work you know you've got to like yeah you've got to be you know we we pay for home rent and studio rent and materials and travel and food and to sort of like 
juggle work with my first solo show was like not easy it was a lot yeah. of late nights and I think someone be for- forgiven for thinking that you were just concentrating on that for the last however many months but yeah. I think I, I wouldn't say not many people realise but it's it's something that isn't kind of talked about a lot really that the work that actually goes on and that you have to do in order to make what you make um, and with a show as ambitious as that it's it's very time intensive um, and obviously mm-hmm. yeah as you say we live we're living in one of I, yeah, one of the top well, most of the most, most, most expensive cities in yeah. the world um, and to then you know put on a show of that ambition which props to you first of all <laughs> but it's, it's also yeah I don't think it's talked about very much and yeah I mean I, I guess you could talk about a little bit about how you how you make how you manage to make it all work how you manage well, to I, I, I seem to remember time. I made that show in like five days um, it was like it was gnarly it was yeah getting into the studio I would have three days in the studio and it's sort of like a 10 till midnight vibe. Yeah. Um, and it's it's tough. Like, I would have loved, like, a free three weeks to just crunch it out, but it doesn't work that way. <laughs> and, you know, like, we're all having to do what you know, we all call money work, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. to pay the bills. And then, you know, like, you're absolutely knackered and I work weekends and Mondays yeah. and then doing <laughs> ad hoc stuff here and there and then, like, you've got a free free day... And the grass begins in, again in the studio. Yeah, in the studio. <laughs> yeah. It's um it's quite tough. And I think that's something that like, you know, emerging artists or artists, you know, recently graduated, it's it's a difficult balance between keeping going and having the time to make the work. And um yeah. I don't know about you, but I like I totally surprise myself every month when I pay my outgoings I'm like oh my god I did it again again. I I did it again I know you know that's every month and um, you know that that's something that I totally took for granted when I was in the market is like having a salary you know like that is nice when you just got like a fixed amount of cash coming into your current account you yeah. do all yeah. this hard work right and, and, and mo- you get yeah, paid right, for yeah, it exactly. whereas now it's like you do all this hard work and you're definitely necessarily not getting paid yeah, for it yeah and if you do it's probably late yeah exactly and your invoicing <laughs> and is going to come it's late the amount because they can't afford to give you the full amount yeah exactly it's yeah, tricky it and, is um, I think that's the most important thing for us at this stage is just to to keep going um, and you know loads of people you know I I never did a BA in fine art, but from what I hear, people stop after doing BAs in yeah. fine art. And even yeah. after our MA at RCA, you know, people have stopped making because it is, it's a commitment. It's yeah. hard. It's yeah. hard. It's and hard. It's, it, is, it is hard. And, and, and also, I think the age that we're in at the moment with, with Instagram, um, well, Instagram mainly, I would say, for artists. And I struggle with this a lot, especially when I left. Um, our, yeah, when we, when we left our masters. I, I felt as though... I was kind of, um, well, everyone was doing so much better than me because I, mm. I would see all these things happening online and people be making new work and having shows. Um, and in, in my mind, I'd just be making those, kind of fast-forwarding those connections to be like, oh, they're just doing better than me, rather than actually you know, taking a step back and thinking, well, what's, what's actually going on behind the scenes to allow them to do this? And yeah, and, and that's the thing with, with Instagram is like it's, it's a good thing in terms of exposure, but it's also a, a bad thing in terms of, um, you know, it's very easy to 
see people doing this thing and that thing, and you like think, oh, like, oh shit, I should be doing that, or yeah. like, why isn't that? Or why am I not doing that thing? And it's it's. I think in terms, like as a maker, it can be it can be a blessing and a curse, yeah. as they say. It's um, it can be quite damaging at times, but then at the same time, like you know, we've never been so connected to people out exactly, there. Exactly, exactly. And I think if you can work out a way to use that as a tool rather than a tool for you, rather than a measuring tool of quality or a yeah, exactly. Tool, that's the I, way to think about it. Yeah, um, I, th- I think that's when it has so many benefits. Definitely. Um, because yeah, from from your living room, you can be you can keep yourself connected with, yeah, with people, people you studied with or whatever. Um, and it's yeah, and it's and it can be a really positive thing. I I'm coming in and out of loving it and hating it, at the moment, um, and I'm slowly coming back around to loving it again. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Peaks and troughs. Yeah, peaks and troughs, man. Exactly. Um, but current work. And things going on at the moment for yeah. you. Just had solo open in Birmingham. Just had a solo in Birmingham. And which then... is also a mad installation. <laughs> I of mean, that things. was nuts. Yeah. That was completely bonkers. Yeah, so literally just got back from got back from Birmingham on Saturday. Then as we were talking straight into work on Sunday and yeah. Monday, I had the morning off yesterday, straight into work today. It's like <laughs> brutal. It's just <laughs> like I need a week <laughs> off. Uh, but that's the life, you know. But um, yeah, really happy with with Birmingham. It was quite um, quite like, sort of like ambitious in terms of logistics. Um, is that a space called Recent Activity, who's run by uh, an artist called Andrew Gillespie, who, for the record, is a total legend. Um, <laughs> In terms of like how um, hospitable he was, because you know, like I was, I was up in Birmingham. He let me stay at his 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 house. Oh, that makes sense. He's got a so one year old daughter, oh, wow. and like he was cooking for me every night. And it makes such a big difference, mm. you know, because I was saying like I'm Airbnbs up there were not that cheap, so I was like I'm going to keep commuting back to London every day. Yeah. He said, "Don't be silly, stay with me." So like he, but also in terms of the the dialogue we had because you know like he says I want to give you a solo show, you have an idea, and then he came down for some studio visits and then kind of evolve from there so we we were looking at my I've got a table in my studio which is just covered in 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 studio detritus and yeah. in, in just sort of like crap really sort of like things that were never used things that are being used it's kind of like a sort of physical space for my brain and he found that really interesting he just said like you know I find something in that quite genuine so we sort of took that to the nth degree and the space itself is really idiosyncratic. It's kind of like a triangular corner space. So we had a table built up in the middle, um, which kind of corresponded to the schematics of the space. And then I covered it in, in yeah, studio detritus, past, present, future work. Some things that I have used before in other shows, some things that were failures, some things that I'm sort of thinking on that will be used one day. Um, and it wasn't just physical detritus, it was also like um, digital stuff that like, you know, vector drawings that I never used on the computer, which I got laser cut in walnut and in acrylic. And then weirdly, we, we kind of activated it with, with, with dry ice uh, to produce this really low-lying fog. So dry ice is frozen carbon dioxide minus 80. <laughs> and when you pour boiling water in, you get this really low-lying, creepy kind of tomb, tombstone yeah. uh, fog going on. Um, which is something I wanted to use for ages, but um, you've got to be quite careful, dryers, because it's pure carbon dioxide. You can end up uh, suffocating if you fill a room with it because it runs out of oxygen. But 
his space sort of exits directly out into the street, so there was good ventilation for it. But then also he had a dry eye supplier right next to the gallery, like 10 minutes away in Birmingham. And then on top of that, because he's Arts Council funded, he gave me a budget for the show, which, as you know, is like, you know, that's unheard of. <laughs> it's something to say, like, here, is, here yeah. is money to make the show. Mm. And, um, you know, maybe that's a segue on to another conversation, which is that um, it costs money to make work and you can have loads of shows which is great and everything but then you need to have the cash to be able to make the work Mm -hmm. and you know you're a pure painter but you're buying (laughs) tons of oil and i'm buying loads of weird stuff and Mm -hmm. like dry ice and stuff so i would have never done that show unless i'd had some kind of funding for it um so it became a logistical thing that you can't keep dry ice in the freezer because it breaks the freezer because it's so cold so i had to get it i am having to get it delivered every day to the gallery wow um because then it it sublimates it evaporates overnight because it's it's so cold so um it's become like a logistical problem too but it was quite cool. We were sort of activating it every 10 minutes, um, just silently, not without any fanfare. We'd quickly reset the dry ice and then he'd pour the boiling water in. So there were moments where people were in the gallery and then they left and they didn't see the dry ice. And so they saw the arrangement on the table as its own thing. There were people that just got there and then this whole dry ice fog thing came along they were like what the hell is going on here (laughs) the other people that arrived just when there was a bit of residue Mm. so it's quite an interesting kind of um sort of loop to the work that some people engaged with it and other people didn't but um overall loved it like loved loved birmingham the scene in birmingham is 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 really cool and i think that's like a kind of london-centric um ethos that you kind of have now and again that you know like I mean, obviously, we all know there's, like, brilliant scenes around the UK. It's just, like, when I'd... Until I'd actually gone to Birmingham and uh, I'd seen the, the yeah, work up there, I was like, this is, like, mind-blowingly good. Yeah. And is is Digbeth is, like, really awesome. It's right next to the centre of town near the Bullring. Um, and it's it's just, like, really brilliant. Like, I, I thought there was really, like, good energy up there. And, um, like, I really enjoyed making the work. It was... Um, a bit of a struggle getting it all done in the end but um, we got there we got there Um, and yeah so now I find myself in a bit of a I don't know if you get this feeling but once you have a show you're like wow like what's next yeah because well we're sitting in the studio now Um, and yeah I mean when you it's 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 like all your kids have gone to school for the first time or something and you're just like at home on your own. That's quite a nice analogy, actually. Yeah, and you're sort like, of you... sat there going like, wow. Yeah. Well, not that, not that obviously, I've, I've had kids, but I imagine you put all this, all this time into raising them and whatever. And then they, yeah, and they're all off. And, you know, you sat there you've, and you've got, you, you, well, there's, there's, there's nothing there and you've got to kind of start, well, you start from scratch again, I guess. Yeah. Like how, how to deal with that. I, yeah, how's have you started to think about new work? So I mean, I literally just got yeah, I got back on on a, a few days ago, and I've just been at work ever since. Um, so I've not had time, but I, I've got a group show coming up in um, early September. So I, I can we can we know where that is? That's at Alice Black Gallery in Soho. Oh, Alice, I know Alice. Yeah, so yeah, Ad- uh, Adia yeah. had a yeah, show yeah, yeah. there. Yeah. Um, so that's a group show, but yeah, I've you know straight back on it, back on deadline. Um, 
which is fine. You know, I'm never going to complain about that. Like, I it is is great to be showing work. It's just um, I don't know. The last couple of shows, I feel like I kind of hit new territory, and I kind of want to build upon yeah. that. I've been doing lots of three D scanning, three D printing, in full color. Um, I, I feel like I it, it feels like new new territory, new interesting territory. So I kind of want to pursue that a bit. Um, but yeah, straight back on it. No time to 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 dwell. Yeah. In my empty studio, which I think is important to it's an important thing to 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 think and talk about is is momentum because I think that's so easily lost. It can be yeah. so easily lost, and um, myself especially, if I have two weeks, even two weeks out the studio without even just being with the work or seeing it, yeah, you can yeah you, you can lose touch even even if it's just just with the making or, yeah. or with what colours you're using, for instance, it's hard to fall out of touch with that. And that's the thing; it's really easy to stop. It's really easy. It's well, really yeah. easy to like, just get a full time yeah. job and just like forget about it yeah. and like actually not have to pay for a studio or weird materials or like you know mild steel and sure. welding and all this kind of stuff. For sure. So I think it's it's important to keep things ticking along. And when I've had quiet periods, I kind of set myself like a a task of trying to uncover something new in the work, mm-hmm. and then you've got to find something that makes you want to come into the studio because yeah it's it's really easy to lose momentum and that's one of the 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 sort of key aspects is to keep the ball rolling you know and um yeah a lot of the time it's the easiest thing to do sack it off and then take an extra shift on it blah 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 yeah. and like actually pay your bills for the month and um that's 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 the key is to just like keep forcing yourself to to, to come in and when you've got deadlines is is yeah. you know it just has to happen but when it, you don't that's the key point in in motivation yeah definitely. and I think trusting yourself as well is a big thing mm. it's, it's it's easy to to be doom and gloom about things and and yeah as you say you just kind of oh well you just take the easy way out I'll just I'll, I'll take the money leave the work because that's the, that's the most important thing yeah um. But yeah, just um, yeah, that's 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 it. Really, just gotta keep going, man. Just gotta keep going. Yeah, and just and, and trusting that you've done it before, you'll do it again, and at the end of the month, you'll still be alive, and it'll be alright. Exactly. <laughs> there's like always a way. Just about cobbled your bills together, but um, yeah, I think that's the, the the key for when when you've got a quiet period is that's a chance to like actually uncover something new. I find when I'm really busy, I kind of end up regurgitating stuff that I know I can execute, you know, stuff that I know I can make if I put the time in. Um, I, th- I think, you know, that's when you've got a quiet point, you can experiment and try new things, which is why I'm quite happy with like the last couple of shows that I've had in terms of I kind of reached new stuff, um, even though I was on deadline. But, you know, there was, there was a real kind of... Um, all go to shit and it was it all really depended on these 3d objects that i i 3d printed and i had no idea how they're going to turn out but they turned out all right in the end um and that kind of unlocked the work and um we'll see where it goes next you know but um sometimes yeah i just wish i had unlimited budget you know print whatever i wanted make whatever i wanted (laughs) but you know that's not the way you can't powder coat everything because no. it's time and it's money um so if you listen to this get down to birmingham and buy everything in the show just this poor man can can live you can buy <laughs> all this weird stuff on the table in birmingham do it <laughs> no we use for it I've, I've, somewhere i promise you can yeah there's there's lots of weird stuff on that table but, um <laughs> nice one 
Okay. 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 So sorry to put you on the spot, mate. Um, but this is going to happen to everyone. Okay. Um, oh my goodness. So, yeah, the first quick quick fire question is: If you could um, visit any artist in their studio, living or dead, who would it be, and what would you ask them? What a question! Oh my <laughs> god. Uh, it's it's. I I don't think I've come to a full to a full answer yet myself. Christ, too many artists, too many artists. I, I'm... Or at the moment, say, at the moment with, with what's going on with the work, who... Yeah. No one's popping to mind, like, at the moment. Weirdly, Kazimir Malevich is popping to mind. Cool. Like, I've always been into those Russian avant-garde's, big into those guys. Yeah. The Supremacists were pretty epic. But um, I would love to go to Malevich's studio, you know... Um, very early 20th century Russia would have been absolutely wild. Um, what I would have asked him, who knows? Who knows what I would have asked him? Just stick the kettle on and see what happens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> would you have for breakfast, Casimir? Yeah, he's just... <laughs> but, um, yeah, them or like, you know, Rodchenko and he's a constructivist. Those guys used to... Um, they used to dress up in like workers' overalls, and they used to clock in and clock out. Really, in in the studio, like actual like workers, wow. and produce this like you know completely new visual language, you know. Or it would be quite cool to play chess with Duchamp with some. Um, <laughs> he did that with loads of naked uh, naked ladies, didn't he, back <laughs> in the day? But good question. Like I wish I, I wish you'd given that to me a couple of days ago. I know, I know, I know. But fully put on the spot. Yeah, this is it. Yeah, this I'm going to say Malevich. Yeah, good. But I don't know what go I'm going to ask. Go with your intuition. What's this all about, Casimir? <laughs> Which is what every artist hates. What's it? What's it mean, mate? <laughs> I would have trolled him with that question. What does it mean? <laughs> or asking the same question I've just asked you. Yeah, exactly. Oh, very nice. Like that. Okay, and last but not least as a nice kind of way to finish things off, um, what would be the best advice you've been given um, in relation to your work or as an artist or just general creativity or life that is kind of, or something that has stuck with you that someone said that has kind of carried... carried yeah, through? no, I can answer this one, which is basically you're capable of making whatever you want to make. And I just remember before pre-RCA... Um, I'd look at some artists and I'd think like, oh my God, I wish I could make that. Like, but I never will. I never will be able to make that. I wish I could make work like that. But I think that's something that I learned is that you're capable of making anything you want to. And that might not necessarily be you making it technically, but I think you, know, you can get people to fabricate certain aspects or, um, yeah, you can, you can do whatever you want to do. Um, and there should be no limit to your ambition, I think, is, like, the most important thing I, 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 got, I got taught. Um, yeah, you're capable of, of doing whatever you want, and there should never be a limit on it, apart from money, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, nice one. What a, way, what a way to round things off. Well, thank you very much for having me, Dave. It's well, been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, for me too. Thanks for, thanks for having us in. It's been, um, yeah, it's been wonderful. We'll start to finish. As always. As always. It's always a pleasure with you, Dave. Nice one. Um, and I hope the rest of the show goes well in Birmingham. I'm sure it will. Thank you, yeah. Um, and yeah, is there anything you'd like, or oh, I said anything you'd like to, anything you've got coming up? We've mentioned the show, Alice Black, 
Is there anything, Alice Black, is anything else maybe, uh, coming up you'd like to plug? Or maybe talk about the Parasite for a little bit? Yes, the Parasite. My goodness, the Parasite. I made, a, so I make quite a lot of vitrines, containers, uh, shelving, uh, love working metal. Um, so yeah, I made this weird, um, what I call like a post-luxury display case, which went <laughs> on the side of the RCA um, in our second year which is kind of like an absurdly tiny gallery space. Um, we had a few shows on there. We even had Paul Noble in there for the uh, degree show. <laughs> that was just that. moved. It's just moved to Elephant and Castle. Has moved. he been in there since? Or has it? Since RCA. Yeah. No, it's literally just moved like wow. a couple of weekends ago. Um, James Capper of all people, moved it, I think, uh, with Billy Fraser. And they curate this... Um, really incredible set of shows called Absinthe in Spit and Sawdust yeah, yeah, pub yeah. in uh, Elephant and Castle. They're great shows. Yeah, and it's kind of like a kind of debauched art pub vibe, but it's just moved there. Um, so there is new stuff going in. Of your own work? Not time. of my own. I've never shown in The Parasite. Can, um, can Are you taking submissions for that? Or how would... I'm not. It's, it's been curated by someone called... Georgia Laura Stevenson and um, she's curated something on oh, wow. now I think she co-curates Picnic Gallery in the Elsham Centre in Peckham okay, she's cool. brilliant anyway yeah, yeah. Um, so there's something going on that it's just moved location which is pretty cool um, and then only other thing to mention is I think it will happen it's going to happen now that I say it yeah. two person show with Beatrice Letters Boyle wow. who's our other s- studio mate friend of the podcast Friend of the podcast, indeed. Um, and that's a self-organised thing. And oh, we're nice going to be one. doing... We're making lamps. Wow. It's wild. Yeah, yeah that is... Kind of like an um, exquisite corpse kind of thing. So, like, I'm going to be... Like, one of us will make a top, one of us will make the that's stem, the other one will make the base, and then it's kind of like a, this bizarre mashup. All depends on whether we get funding, though. So I think we find out in the next three or four days whether we get funding. So, potentially, so potentially, this is a To The Studio exclusive... Yeah, this is brand you heard, new. You heard it here press first. News shows um, pop, lamp show popping off. We're, ho- we're hoping for Soho. Whether or not that actually happens as a location is another story. It'll probably end up being somewhere in Peckham, probably, <laughs> even though we probably can't afford Peckham. But hold tight, it's going to happen. Nice one. Thank you very much. Pleasure, man. Pleasure, man. Thank you. I'm so glad we covered the parasite. That would have been rubbish if you didn't do it. The Parasite, yeah, my God. Um, yeah, Hector Campbell has written something about it. Has he really? Yeah. Can we find that somewhere? We'll stick it in the links. Not sure yet. Yeah, we'll stick it in the links. That, that he's written a little thing on that, and that's coming out uh, shortly. But um, Yeah, he's pretty on it. In, in terms of like shows in London, if you're, like, if you're around in London, he, like, he, just, he puts out. You don't even have to... Have seesaw app or anything like that. You just just follow him and he'll let you know. You, you, Hector Campbell is the seesaw for yeah. emerging art. The guy's yeah. an absolute machine. He goes to absolutely everything, and you know, like he works at Christie's. I think now too. Does he? he holds down a day job. He holds down a nine to five. What a guy! I'm yet to meet him, but top top chap. Yeah, I'm, good, yeah. good lad. Yeah. Big fan. <laughs> cool. I think we'll end it there. Yeah. So thank you very much for listening to us all the way through. Please find more information about what was discussed on the podcast in the notes section. And if you like what you heard, 
and would like to keep up to date with new episodes, then please subscribe to the podcast. And also follow our Instagram, which we regularly update with posts about each guest and all goings on with the podcast. Also, if you can spare a moment, please leave us a lovely review and that would help us out a lot. As well as that, if you have any suggestions or opinions you wish to share with us, then please feel free to do so on any of our social media platforms or send us over an email. All of our details are again in the notes section of each podcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.